Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now this evening is our 16th sermon in our sermon series on the life of Abraham. And our text this evening is Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 11, page 13 in your pew Bible. The covenant meal of Abraham and his three guests are now over. And over that meal, Abraham heard the Lord God reaffirm his covenant to his wife, doubting Sarah. For nothing is too hard for the Lord. Then, ever the good host, Abraham escorts his guests as they depart from his tent. Abraham is overjoyed, as no doubt the departure is for him in the great word that has come to his family and to his wife. There's also a shadow that casts itself as they reach a point of departure. Because as they reach that point, we learn how the heavenly guests look down towards Sodom. And Moses gives us a clue here because the language is similar to one we saw before. It is at this point of departure that Lot also made his choice to settle in Sodom, again using the same long appraising gaze that Abraham notices in his guests. So at this vantage point, the Lord God chooses to inform Abraham of what he is going to do to these wicked cities. His purpose is to strengthen Abraham in his resolve and ability to instruct his children in godliness, that what God has decreed will certainly come to pass. He also emphasizes the depth of Sodom's sin, the wickedness of this place. They are violent cities in which the inhabitants cared only for themselves while they brutalized and violently oppressed one another. And God sends his angels now on a final act of judicial gathering of evidence before the judgment falls. And at that point, Abraham intercedes For the citizens of Sodom, he displays a godlike compassion. He knew people there in those cities. He he traded with them. He cared for them, despite their wickedness. He is bold and compassionate in his heart, but his argument itself is based upon God's character, that God would not do anything wrong. But like you and me, he made a mistake. He supposed that the righteous cannot suffer the same tragedies as the sinner. So his plea with the Lord God at this point never imagines that it would be possible for a righteous person and a sinner to fall at the same trauma at the hand of God. Abraham is wrong-headed but not wrong-hearted in his intercession. And we saw how his intercessory prayer does not have no effect 
Indeed, God saves Lot because God remembers Abraham. And so chapter 19 begins. Our scene moves now to the two angelic messengers who instantaneously reach the outskirts of Sodom, even as Abraham and the Lord God end their conversation. Now Moses sets up this encounter in a very specific way because what follows is a parallel to what we have seen already in the encounter with Abraham. In other words, this is a a second divine visitation. The angels meet Lot at the city entrance. They met Abraham at the entrance of his tent. There is both an invitation to stay. Both a meal is given. And the same way, Lot intercedes the way Abraham intercedes. But there is a contrast here between Abraham's hospitality that results in blessing and worshipful intercession and Lot's hospitality, which results in failure and judgment and loss. Moses compares two righteous men, Abraham and Lot. For we learned, didn't we, that the Apostle Peter told us that Lot is righteous. But here Moses underlines by contrast what I would call the pilgrim heart of Abraham. In other words, like all believers, he dwells on this earth, but he is seeking a heavenly dwelling. And God's gracious blessing follows. Lot, by contrast, righteous, but lacking this pilgrim spirit. He is firmly at home in Sodom. Therefore, God's judgment and Lot's loss will inevitably follow. So Moses sets up the parallel in three ways. First, Lot's character is revealed to us. Next, he turns his attention to the character of the citizens of Sodom. And Moses ends then in the same way of how our gracious God intervenes to save Lot, even though his situation is completely hopeless. So let's begin with Lot's character being revealed in the first three verses of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. Now, when the angels earlier had approached Abraham, he was sitting in his tent in the heat of midday. Here in Sodom, it is at the end of the day. Yet Lot still sits outside at the gates of the city. Abraham at his tent. Lot in what is the modern equivalent of the Borough Hall. Excavation of Bronze Age cities like Sodom reveals stone benches incorporated into the design of the gate and the walls of the city for the elders to sit. In other words, this is where the citizens did their business. 
appealed for judicial review and decision. Some of you may recall in our study of Ruth that when Boaz goes to Bethlehem's gates to make his appeal for a judicial decision concerning Naomi and Ruth as the kinsman redeemer. It happens at the city gates where the elders gather. Now Lot's position at the gate indicates something significant to us. In other words, that he is a person of influence, a local leader in Sodom. And notice also how Moses has recorded for us ever so gradually, with one aside after the other, Lot's gradual progression. In other words, his concession to Sodom's culture. Back in chapter 13, we read how Lot had moved his tent as far as Sodom. Next, in chapter 14, Moses describes Lot as dwelling in Sodom. And now here, in chapter 19, we see Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom as a community leader. Now, like Abraham, Lot practices the same hospitality that was typical of their family and clan. Like Abraham, he bows low to the ground. And because of the late hour, he offers the appropriate hospitality. He offers a bed. The rest, the washing of feet, being a metaphor for staying the night and taking their ease, rather than resting under a tree and having a meal out in the open. But what happens? The angels force the issue, don't they? They say, no, we will spend the night in the town square. They turn down his hospitality. Lot is left shocked and frightened. Custom demanded that you must offer strangers a bed for the night. And the same custom likewise expected a guest to accept the offer. So not only have they gone against custom, but it's Sodom we're talking about. And Lot knows all too well what happens to the defenseless stranger left at night in the town center. So in verse 3 we read this, But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, the force of the Hebrew here that Moses uses underlines Lot's fear for the strangers. It's as if he grabs them by the lapels of their garments and shakes them, manhandles them, pleading with them until they agree to join him. And then Lot, as it were, drags them to his home. And so after some major arm twisting, he gets them safe inside his house. Now notice the next parallels between uncle and nephew. Abraham persuades the Lord to withhold his hand for ten righteous in Sodom. And Lot persuades, likewise, two supernatural beings to change their minds about where they will spend the night. Now, once safe in his home, Lot quickly, like Abraham, prepares a meal, this time of unleavened bread, underlining his haste to serve them. 
It's not a question of a contrast of quality here, but it's about speed, of Lot's eagerness to serve, to fulfill his obligation to his guests and to their safety. And for those who would have heard this story amongst the children of Israel, it would be no mistake to consider that they too would be reminded of the time they prepared unleavened bread in the speedy haste in which the Israelites departed from judgment against Egypt. Now, what of Sodom's character? That we find in verses 4 through 9. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Now, we know from the law of Moses, specifically in the book of Leviticus, that homosexual attraction and practice was common among the culture of the Canaanites when the Israelites entered the land. Now here, Moses takes it one step further. He makes it clear that this was not just a way of life, but the majority way of life among the citizens of Sodom. It's in the reduplication. Do you see it both young and old? And to the last man. This is to gather all those representative classes and trades within the city all gathered as a mob outside uh, Lot's house. And there is also underlined a sexual fluidity here as both homosexual and bisexual men take part. But more still, This is a violent sexual assault in which the victim could be killed or indeed permanently crippled. Now, one must understand that sexual orientation aside, it's the question of violence, of sexual violence that was such an anathema to other Bronze Age cultures to to break the rules of hospitality and safety was considered sacrilegious, even to the pagan gods which they worshipped. So it's the savageness that the Hebrew expresses, this, this act of sexual violence that stands out here. So Moses draws for us a picture of a large, howling mob of violent men of every age, slavering, drool and spittle flying in their shouts for satisfaction. And so Lot again parallels his uncle in intercession. He steps outside at the risk of his own life to confront the mob and to attempt to turn aside their insatiable desire for violence. Verses 6 to 8. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now notice the confliction in Lot's soul. 
He lacks Abraham's pilgrim spirit. Clearly, Sodom and its culture has gotten inside him. He's married a Sodomite woman. And we'll see next Sunday how in verse 12 his daughters were betrothed to pagan Sodomite men. And most likely, tragically, they were part of the men, young and old. In other words, part of the mob who pursued this rape of Lot's guests. You see, Lot has enjoyed the prosperity, the comforts, the culture and prestige of the city. But he's worn down, isn't he? He concedes one step after the other in the lives of those around him. I can well imagine as a righteous man how tortured his soul was as he saw these things happen before him every day in what he saw or what he heard reported to him. It's the pattern of so many believers today, isn't it? This is not a caricature. Now look at the clues. He, he acts courageously by stepping outside. Notice he addresses them as brothers. I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. But then the moral failure. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Now what's going on here? Well, Lot, like so many Christian believers, think that it's their cleverness that will deliver them from the culture and the fallenness of those around them. He risks the sanctity of his family to try and trick those in the mob into a legal trap. Lot gambles with his daughters that they would not be harmed. Why? Because they were betrothed. They were betrothed as virgins to two fellow citizens of Sodom. And the law code of that era made betrothal as sacrosanct as marriage. Therefore, the offender who sees the woman would be put to death. So he tries a trick, you see and then abandons his duty as a father, as God has commanded. If the offer had been accepted, you can read for yourselves what happens in Judges chapter 19. Because it is the same encounter, almost word for word, Judges 19, 10 to 20. Look it up for your homework this week. It underlines there the depravity of the men of God. Gibeah of the tribe of Benjamin that leaves, sadly, a woman dead. But the mob of Sodom is having none of this. Verse 9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. So what's happened? Well, Lot's cleverness, Lot's alliance with the citizens of Sodom is revealed to be empty. He called them brothers, but they shout back in contempt, this foreigner 
That's the force of this fellow, this sojourner, this foreigner. And now he dares judge us, to be the judge over us. He came here an alien, and that is who he is. How dare he? Evidently, Lot's muffled testimony and the fact that he did not run with the sodomites or participate in their wickedness offended them. And we find this today, don't we? When the church makes a treaty with the world, it will only last as far as the world is advantaged. The unconverted, no matter how virtuous in worldly terms they may be, are offended when you do not give them hearty approval in everything they do. In their eyes, the absence of your approval as a Christian is unforgivably judgmental. They won't have it. I mean, did you really believe that the triumphant LGBTQ spokesman who asserted in 2015 that after the Supreme Court granted the right to same-sex marriage, that that was all they would want? Really? What did James write in his letter in James 4.4? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? There, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Doing his worldly best... Lot jeopardizes his daughters, enrages his neighbors, and finally has to be rescued by those he was trying to protect. The angel's visit has unmasked the lie that he was never, ever a person of influence with them. But what happens next? Well, God intervenes, doesn't he? To save, he intervenes to save, verses 10 through 11. 2 Peter 2.9 says this, after referring to Lot's rescue, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And he does. The angels reach out, grab Lot, and pull him into the house, shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out, groping for the door. The force of the Hebrew here reveals this sudden flash of light. And they're blinded. It happens one more time in the Old Testament. When the Syrians had surrounded Dothan to seize the prophet Elisha. And the blindness overcomes this huge host of an army. And then one more time, the blindness, the flash of light that knocks Saul from his steed and mount on the road to Damascus. In other words, a supernatural event to save. But notice how, as we read on, that this flash and sudden blindness does not deter the crowd. There's a grim comedy here. He, Moses paints a picture, rather, of the rebellious sinner. Blind, unseeing, lust-crazed, stumbling about in vain in search of a door, scratching here and there, 
knocking about one against the other, tumbling around until they fall exhausted on the pavement. If there is any doubt as to God's declaration that there were no righteous left in this city, it is now gone. Every mother's son and daughter was unrepentant. Their hearts are hardened. They are no longer human in God's image. Rather, they are debased, animalistic distortions. In other words, as we've seen throughout Genesis, they are the seed, the creatures of the serpent. So Moses leaves us here as believers. Three points of emphasis that conform to the gospel pattern. The gospel is here in this account. The first is the catastrophic nature of sinfulness. How it causes such a debasement of the image of God in men and women around us that is compounded in the group, one influencing and consuming the other. Ultimately, sin becomes the crime against humanity. And its flourishing is a sign of God's judgment. He does not remove it, but rather takes his restraining hand away. And these are the most chilling words of Scripture, don't you think? And God turned away and gave them over and gave them over. For this reason, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. The second gospel emphasis is to remind us that Sodom is not the extreme. Rather, it lives in our own hearts and is just a few beats away from our own faith and walk looking like lots. What is required is not greater effort, but rather new birth. Regeneration. There must be no compromise with sin or we will quickly lose our grip. And the third is the great rescue, our utter helplessness without divine intervention. Another must save. Another must save. And so Christ came down from heaven to endure the wages of sin for us first, endured the wrath that fell upon Sodom so that we could be saved. He must save. God must save. And he alone. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple Church. Ancient Truth. Real People. New Life.